Nothing you hear in this program constitutes investment advice. It is an expression of opinion only. This is Frisbees, Bulls and Bears. Talking money and markets. What's happening and why? We talk to the experts, the traders, the investors and the companies they're investing in. You're listening to Frisbees, Bulls and Bears with Dominic Frisbee. Hello and welcome to Frisbee's Bulls and Bears with me, Dominic Frisbee. A reminder that you can subscribe to the show by clicking on the subscribe via email button on the left-hand side of your screen. And then every time I upload a new program, you will be notified in your inbox. And that is the only email you will receive. In today's program, I have as my special guest, Michael Hampton, a.k.a. Dr. Bub, probably the oldest guest on this show. And we're going to do something a little bit different. Rather than me interview Mike, Mike is going to interview me about my great opus, my opus, which is Life After the State, my book. So, Mike, I'm going to hand the reins straight over to you. I understand that uh, you're only halfway through, but you're, you're quite enjoying it. Yes, well, uh, I've been reading your book now for quite a few days, and uh, I like it very much. And I've had a number of insights while reading the book. Um, you talk about three very important concepts, and I've not really seen them tied together in such a, a useful uh, and powerful way before. And uh, those three things are money and the way it's created, uh, taxation, and the state. And, you know, from reading the book, it occurred to me this morning as I was kind of collecting my notes um, that it's a kind of ring of power. So they also kind of work uh, around each other in a kind of big circle, reinforcing the power of each. Yeah, an unholy and, uh, trinity, let's call it. An unholy trinity, exactly. So I thought today, and I'd like to have a second conversation about this another time, but I thought today we could focus mainly on the currency side. And um, I, I liked the opening of the book where you really go back to uh, you, you, your a visit many years ago to Cuba and uh, where you discovered, I wonder if you could say a little bit about what you discovered on your, on your trip to Cuba that surprised you. Well, okay, I put out that Cuba chapter actually in the last episode, uh, Mike, so you can listen to that chapter if you want in the last episode. I, I went to Cuba on holiday in the, in the mid-1990s, 1996, and I was obsessed with Latin America at the time. I used to go there every year, backpacking, and I was expecting to have the time of my life in Cuba. I was n not long out of university, and I thought Cuba was the great example to us all on, on the fact that, that you know the state it has a wonderful education system, it has a wonderful system of health care, and I just was not prepared for what I experienced there. Um, I was I was staying with a family there, and um, the guy in the family was a was a PhD in economics, and his wife was a doctor in the local hospital. And she he used to say to me, "What's the point of having a brilliant health service when you have no medicine? What's the point of mm -hmm. having brilliant education when you have no pen and you have no paper?" And he was so damning about the regime. And you used to see it all the time. Cubans would kind of walk around and they'd go, oh, it's brilliant, Cuba's amazing, Castro's amazing. And then they'd come up to you and whisper, I hate Castro. And they would, it, <laughs> they, would, they, they would only whisper because they were so paranoid about being overheard because of the, the um, 
culture of sneaking on everyone else and reporting them to the authorities. And the regime was so oppressive, it had turned them into a bunch of fanatics. They've got this bizarre situation in Cuba where they have two current, they had two currencies, the Cuban peso and the US dollar. And the Cuban peso was exchangeable officially to the US dollar at $20 to the peso, 20 pesos to the dollar. But the only things you could buy with pesos were in, were in, was like uh, these kind of stalls on the street which sold pizza and then another stalls on the street sold ice cream and you know it was the ice cream wasn't too bad actually but the pizza was terrible and you just couldn't buy stuff stuff was bought with ration books and they did however have supermarkets or as they called them supermarkets which were government shops that sold kind of you know things in the west we don't even think about jeans you know stuff like that but you could only use us dollars in these government shops and That's really interesting that, you know, that, that uh, the, the, the local currency was not useful in, the, in those markets. You couldn't use it. You because just, it really had, had no value. The, the local currency... You, 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 were using a, you were using a foreign currency. You were using U.S. dollars. Absolutely. You could not buy anything anywhere with local currency. And I have to correct myself. The official exchange rate was one to one, but the black market exchange rate was 20 to one. Now, my host, Luis... Uh, he earned about, I think from memory, four or five hundred pesos a month. And his wife earned the same. So between them, let's say they earned a thousand pesos a month. But the reality was, if you divide that um, that salary uh, by 20, they earned between them $50 a month. Right. And this is a PhD yeah. in economics and a, and a doctor. You know, about as educated a, a pair of individuals as you could hope to get. Now, that $50 that they earned between them, could only buy them in the state shops, which weren't cheap, and maybe a pair of mm. jeans or something like that. Yeah. And well, so what? Yeah. I'll just very quickly finish. So what had happened is this bizarre situation where there was stuff available, but the only way you could buy it with U.S. dollars, but nobody was paid in U.S. dollars. So the only way you could get U.S. dollars was by having some kind of contact with a tourist. So they'd created this society where everyone wanted their child to either be a taxi driver or work in a hotel or a waiter. And, you know, the tourist industry wasn't that big. But the biggest money of all was in selling sex. And <laughs> you had this ridiculous thing where, you know, an 18-year-old girl could earn in one night with a tourist maybe something that it would take a year for a doctor to earn. I mean, the disparity was that great. And... You know, loads of, you know, so this, the sex industry had built up and, um, you know, the sex industry is a pretty grim industry and it's a pretty, yeah. it's a pretty sad state of affairs when the only way you can earn any money is by selling your body. And I'm sure occasionally, you know, families resulted from it, but on the whole is a pretty grim existence. And yet this doctor, this, uh, sorry, this PhD in economics, who was a professor at the, uh, at uh, the university, I remember sitting with him on the seafront one day and we were watching all the kind of young Cuban girls walking around trying to, trying to ensnare a, a tourist. And he, he was going, look at this, look at this, look what our country has done. And, and then he declared, I'll never forget it, yeah, the, 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 these girls who used to ensnare tourists were called hinateras, which is the Cuban mm. word for, for a prostitute. And I'll never forget, he said, every Cuban father wants his daughter to be a hinatera. Every Cuban father wants his daughter to be a hooker. 
and what, what kind a of terrible, a terrible state, what a terrible state of affairs. And now, I yeah. don't think um, uh, Castro, uh, I don't think that was the society that Castro set out to create with his great revolution. I don't know. I mean, he never, he was, initially it was to overthrow Batista and then he allied himself with the Soviets as a kind of, to stick two fingers up against the United States. But I can assure you that the society he created was not his intention. And this is one of the big themes of the book, the unintended consequences of state action. What sort of things were they buying? What kind of things were they doing with the money generated? A lot of them would have children. A lot of the money would go back to their families. You know, they'd buy some meat or something on the black market, some, you know, basic luxury that, or some basic item that we take for granted here that, you know, meat was a real luxury and the meat you did eat there was horrible. Um, and, you know, that, so they might, you know, go and buy some form of protein. Uh, you, some of the money, I guess, would be saved. Uh, some of the money would be reinvested in their business, so they would buy themselves some nice clothes or some makeup or something like that. Uh -huh. um, you know, it, the, the money went, you know, some of the money, I guess, was hoarded, but some of the money went back to their families. Yes, and, and, and probably, I mean, I have heard that one of the good things that's happened in Cuba, probably since the time you were there, is they've developed a lot of urban um, agriculture. And, you know, perhaps the money that was generated from the sex trade was used to improve, buy better seeds, buy better equipment, um, to really make their own lives better and more sustainable uh, through free exchanges. And, Exchange. You know, we, we... There's a wonderful book called The Rational Optimist by Matt Ridley. And exchange is the way that mankind progresses, whether it's the exchange of services, the exchange of goods. Um, so, for example, you know, I'll, <clears throat> I'll, I'll, I will I'll cook the food while you hunt for it. So, mm -hmm. so you specialize in hunting and you get really good at hunting. Meanwhile, I specialize in cooking and I get really good at cooking and we pool our two resources and we have better food. And not only that, because of the development of your hunting skills and the development of my cooking skills, mankind progresses through this, through the cumulative sharing of knowledge. You have to have exchange if you are to have progress. And once you have exchange, exactly. progress is, is yeah. it's limitless. And knowledge is cumulative. You know, you look at, uh, you know, I wrote my book on an Apple Mac computer. I have no idea how to extract the oil that was necessary to make the component parts. I have no idea about the technology, the software programming, everything else that goes in to making that computer. That has all that is uh, all the result of thousands of years of knowledge that has built up over time and gone into the making of this computer. But as a result of that computer, which is the product of other people's endeavor, I'm then able to write my book, which then I then share my book, which, you know, you may not may or may not agree with the ideas, but, you know, that is furthering the spread of ideas and that is creating more exchange. So knowledge is cumulative and exchange is essential to progress. Actually, I think your book makes those points pretty well because I, I did uh, come away from uh, one or two of the chapters with, with thoughts like that. And uh, I also liked in the book, the history, the way you, you, you drew a history of currency and how it arose. And, um, I mean, I'd like to maybe just ask you a bit to, to, to go there next, um, because you did talk about how, you know, gold certificates were used in place of actual gold as a way of trading. And I'd like, maybe if you could talk a little bit about, from the book, how, 
how that led to the crisis that Newton dealt with. And I would like to talk about Newton after that as well. Newton came to the um, Bank of England in 16, in a, I think it was 1695, I can't remember the exact year. And, he, and after a couple of years, he became Warden of the Mint. And at the time of his appointment, there was monetary turmoil. The Bank of England had been formed a few years previously, uh, and it had been formed to raise money for uh, William II's, I think it was William II's war, uh, in Holland. But it was, a, it, it was a war, wasn't it? Yeah, it, it was. basically and, triggered and, that. And basically, I, I, I'm afraid I haven't got the exact numbers to n at hand, but I think something like uh, £12 million worth of receipts were issued against a million pounds worth of gold or something like that. So suddenly there was this huge surge in the money, money supply. There was no standard form of money at the time. And uh, it created huge inflation. And... Um, Newton was brought in to try and um, uh, instill some kind of monetary stability, but I think prices doubled in, in two years in the late 1690s. It took him about 20 years, but eventually he, he settled on a standardised, he had what's called the Great Recoinage, and I think it happened in 1716, and mm -hmm. he put the UK on a gold standard. It gave us such an advantage over the rest of Europe, because, I mean, if you think at the same time in France, there was they had uh, all sorts of monetary chaos all through the 18th century and we had a standard system of money built on gold and it worked for about 70 or 80 years until the Napoleonic Wars when the government started running up all sorts of deficits once again to pay for those Napoleonic Wars and then we had inflation again in the early part of the 19th century and eventually we had a second great recoinage in 1816 which led to a settled system of money for almost a hundred years again and then we had all sorts, then we needed to somehow pay for World War One. And in 1914, the British, the Bank of England took the UK off the gold standard once again. And one of my great uh, facts, if you like, one of my great theories is that World War One could not have happened to anything like the same extent if the UK, France and Germany had stayed on a gold standard because there was not the gold to pay for that war. And, you know, that is, the, that is probably the most horrific war in history. Uh, it certainly changed history. It certainly led to World War II, the rise of Hitler, Stalin, all those things. World War I could not have happened if money had stayed independent. But um, that, was, that was the kind of the birth, if you like, of fiat money, where money was simply paper issued by government. But the trust that had been built up in our system of money, over having been on the gold standard for 100 years, carried on over into the war and it was that trust that that enabled governments to change the system of money in the way that they that they did but i mean i just think that's such a telling fact world war one that that independent money and gold is a form of independent money it is a force for peace because it limits what governments can do yes i think your book makes that point quite well and i also like the fact that you know, you do talk about this 200, this fix that Newton did, which lasted almost 200 years. And now the, the fix is obviously breaking down. I like this phrase you used. That it's the, it's uh, interesting, by the way, it looks like there's a kind of 100-year cycle in money. If you, we had one yeah. recoinage in 1716, another in 1816, another in 1914. And it looks like now in 20, late 2013, you know, who knows? Who knows how long governments can get away with what they've done, quantitative easing and so on. But some kind of monetary turmoil is 
is down the road. The, the monetary system is under threat from cryptocurrencies. It's under threat. It was under threat at one stage from gold, but that seems to have dissipated. You know, so um, some kind of money, money revolution looks fairly imminent over the next few years. And I, I jolly well hope it happens because the world will be a better place for it. Yeah, I like this quote from your book that money that we have now is riddled with infection. Yeah. So, you know, that, and, and you do talk about what the infection is and, and, and how to get rid of it. And I think that's probably... And I, like an, um, I say money is, like, is, is the blood of an economy. You know, you can't yes, have a healthy I mean, body without healthy blood. And, and money yeah. is the blood that flows through, and it must be healthy, and it isn't. It's diseased. Right, and, and you have three, mentioned three functions of money uh, as a medium of exchange, as a store of value, as a unit of account. Yeah. And, um, you know, I think that, you know, this, this is going to be a short talk, so we'll probably finish somewhere around here. But I'm wondering, you know, if you could say something about how the current money we have is failing and not working in, in those various functions that it's meant to have. Well, it works fairly well as a medium of exchange. Uh, you, you know, I mean, if you think of the, the, how money is used the world over, I mean, but there are other forms of, I mean, Bitcoin is probably going to prove itself to be a better medium of exchange than current currencies are because you, you have to, you know, if I want to get money from here to Brazil, say, I probably have to go through two different banks and pay all sorts of commission. Um, Bitcoin, you don't have to do that. You can send it as quickly as you send an email. Um, but nevertheless, the current system of money has worked fairly well as a medium of exchange, and it's 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 very divisible as well, which again helps. Um, the as a unit of a, as a as a store of wealth, it's it's pretty terrible. We all you know every listener to this show will know how money's lost its value since 1971, and it loses value every year. And um, as a unit of account, the fact that money is losing uh, value all the time, and the fact that every country has its own money means, you know, it's a confusing unit of account. It would be much better to have a global standardised system of money that doesn't lose value, and that would be a much more effective unit of account. I mean, one, one very uh, telling problem that everyone can relate to is if someone's reporting profit because the currency's losing value, they're reporting a profit, and then they have to pay tax on it. Yeah. Well, that's really an excessive tax, isn't it? Because yeah. the profit wouldn't be there, it wouldn't be as big if you yeah. had an honest money. It wouldn't. And the, the other problem is, is that how many times have you made money on a share in a foreign currency and then lost the money, lost your profit on the, you, may, you might make 20% on the, on the share and then you lose 20% on the Forex. <laughs> exactly. And, and the um, amount of businesses so anyway, that go, I, I, go bust because of I, currency I, I, fluctuation, it's just stupid. Got nothing to do with their yeah, business. I think, I think these issues are all, all very important uh, and becoming more important sort of day by day is, as the uh, you know, as you said, the infected currency we have, you know, gets sicker and sicker, and we also get sicker in using it. So, uh, you know, I think the book is is very timely. I'm looking forward to reading the second half and learning more about what you have to say about the state, and um, also what we can do to to unwind this uh, this beast that's kind of taking control of us all. Well, I, I suggest three or four things uh, over the course of the book. One is we need, I mean, you know, changing our system of money is not something that governments are going to do voluntarily. It might be forced on them in the event of some kind of currency crisis, but uh, more likely it's just that the free market will, people will just start deciding to use other forms of money, whether it's gold or Bitcoin or whatever it is. Um, 
And that's something that seems to be happening. But once the government loses control of money, then uh, then it becomes very hard for it to do what it does. You know, it, it cannot... Every war in history has been, has been, and pretty much the welfare state as well, is, is, involves the government running up deficits. And, you know, no other business in the world will be able to run up a deficit in the way that governments do. They would go bust. And I don't see why they should have the right to, to run up deficits and leave it to the future to pay when other businesses don't have that option. It, the control of money gives governments and their agencies, banks and so on, too much power. So we need to reform our system of money. We need more transparent accounting. Um, you know, I don't understand why governments don't audit themselves according to generally accepted accounting principles that they force on major corporations. Again, they should operate by the same standards. And if we had more transparency in government accounting, we'd realise the horrible deficits. Uh, and also in the accounting of banks, that the horrible deficits and debts and the awful situation that we find ourselves in. We need to reform our system of taxation. We need a flat, simple rate of tax, um, uh, and it needs to be much lower. We also need to tax land instead of labour. Um, I'm in favour of making income tax much lower and rewarding people's productivity and taxing people on the unearned wealth that is land. And, um, and then there's a, a final thing that I would love to see happen. And simplifying tax is such an easy thing for a government to do. I do not understand why they don't do it. Um, the, the UK tax uh, is 11,000 pages, our tax code. 11,000 pages. That is too long by, I don't know, 10,900. It's, it's far longer in America, though. <laughs> oh, isn't it? I, the, the, I think the, the American tax code is equivalent to 64 uh, uh, copies of James Joyce's Ulysses, which is the most complicated book ever written. And, and, exactly. Yeah, that I think is, that's before Obamacare, which is going to make uh, it far worse. <laughs> yeah, so that needs to happen. And then I, there's a wonderful idea that I read on House Price Crash, the website House Price Crash, but I, I don't know where the idea actually comes from. But it is that every law and regulation expires after five years unless it's yeah. voted to stay in place. Because how many stupid laws, drugs laws, for example, they're absolutely crazy, imprison people who shouldn't be in prison, and they cost the state an absolute fortune. And, you know, the, everyone agrees that the drugs laws are stupid, but nobody's going to stand up and repeal them because there's too much career risk for politicians. They think they won't get anywhere. So the drug laws stay in place, and they carry on getting enforced, and lives get ruined by them. And it's not just the drug laws, it's a million and one laws. And there's so many stupid, antiquated laws and regulations and everything else. So all regulations and so on expire after five years unless voted in the House of Commons or Congress or wherever it is to, uh, to be reinstated. And that way, the stupid laws and the bad laws, and, and you, if you're a policymaker, you're bound to make wrong decisions. It's inevitable. And nobody's perfect. But at least if they expire after five years, the stupid regulations go and, and you have a, a purifying process where only the good, good ones stay. If only. I mean, they, 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 did, they did try a bit of that in the U.S., the so-called sunset laws, but um, the politicians quickly found a way to keep them, keep oh, them around. Um, but, you know, maybe it'll work better in the U.K. It's certainly worth a try. But, uh, Don, maybe, maybe we can have another conversation uh, about the state and, uh, you know, its functions and what can be done about its functions. And also, I think, can you tell people how to get a hold of your book? 
Uh, yes, you can buy the book on Amazon. You can buy the book, uh, the ebook on Amazon. I think you can't buy the hard copy unless you're outside of, if you're outside of the UK, because it's only available on Amazon.uk at the moment. You can buy the physical copy on the website Unbound, and you can buy the audio book. I'll put a link to the audio book on this page, and you can buy the audio book, and it's only, I think it's $23 or £15, and you can buy it by PayPal. And the audio book should so be So if, if I want to buy the book in, in dollars um, in the US, and I say I buy it either through Unbound or, or Amazon. If you what's, want to buy the book in the US, me? I think you have to buy the ebook on Amazon. And yeah. I'll put a link at the bottom of the page, or you have to buy the audio book, which you can buy from me. Okay. And I, I, the audio book's quite heavy on numbers, and numbers can get quite heavy mm. on the ear. But, you know, I've spent, as you know, Mike, the last 20 years of my life in a sound studio. And uh, so I'm pretty good at reading stuff. And I think the audio book is a pretty strong piece of work. Well, that's a good recommendation then. And, well, and can I buy the book in Bitcoins yet? You can, <laughs> but unfortunately I don't have a system of changing the Bitcoin price unless I go in and do it myself on a daily basis. So the, the price I set for the book in Bitcoins, I think you're now paying the equivalent, such as being the rise of Bitcoin, I think you're paying about the equivalent of about $200 for a copy of the book. So maybe Bitcoin is the best way of buying it, unless you're feeling very generous. <laughs> well, that's very good. Okay, Don, well, thanks very much. I do hope we can chat again about this. Um, I'm enjoying the book loads, and I think people should get a hold of a copy, and they'll certainly learn a lot. And I like the way you tell the stories that uh, really make the book uh, interesting to read. All right, well, Mike, thank you very much, and thank you for being a guest on this show, and everyone else, thank you for listening, and uh, I'll try and do another interview about it in a, in a couple of weeks' time. Frisbee's Bulls and Bears is presented and produced by Dominic Frisbee. To discuss the markets and have your say, why not visit our forum at globaledgeinvestors.com. That's globaledgeinvestors.com. To join our mailing list so you can be updated as soon as a new show is posted, please email info at dominicfrisbee.net or simply subscribe through iTunes. 